This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I am your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. Today, you are listening to episode 304, and I'm talking with Ryan Hall. If you have been following the sport of running for a little bit now, you know who Ryan Hall is. He has been retired from the sport of running for five years now, but he is the American record holder in the half marathon with a time of 59.43. He also holds the fastest marathon time held by an American marathoner with a time of 204.58. That was run at the Boston Marathon. And that record does have an asterisk next to it because it was run on a net downhill course. He competed in two Olympic Games, Beijing and London. And after he retired from running, he got really into weightlifting, which we're going to hear all about in this episode. He is married to professional runner Sarah Hall, who is just having a crazy, crazy year. Sarah has been on this podcast several times, so make sure you check out her episodes if you haven't already done so. They have four daughters, and Ryan currently coaches Sarah. He also has a coaching business called Run Free Training, where he has a podcast as well, We get into so much in this episode, and I don't really know what I was expecting uh, after this episode or, you know, uh, to come of this episode, but I left feeling really motivated to chase some big goals and test my limits, and I also left the conversation feeling hopeful. Ryan's outlook on life is so positive, and that positivity feels contagious to me. I felt that when I was talking to him. And you'll hear me say it at the end, but I really think this is like a top 10 favorite episode for me. It brought me back to um, the way I felt right when I started this podcast. You know, it's like this podcast has evolved and changed a little bit over the last five years. And this episode, I felt like I was kind of going back to the roots of the podcast. It felt really good. I want to let you all know that this episode is sponsored by Prevenex. This is where I get all of my vitamins, supplements, protein powder, our kids' vitamins. Glenn and I, my husband Glenn and I are drinking that protein powder after every strength workout. And it is a super easy way to get in the nutrition that we need quick. It's also delicious and it has tons of vitamins and minerals and nutrients packed into one serving. So two scoops is 20 grams of protein, which is super important. And then lastly, I just want to let you know they have a product called Joint Health Plus that protects your joints and makes your joints feel so good. I use the Joint Health Plus every day and I'm feeling really great. I've been using it since the summer and I will not go back. You all can save 15% off any of their products when you go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. That's Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER at checkout. Enjoy this conversation with Ryan Hall. All right. Well, today on the podcast, I'm so excited to have Ryan Hall on the show. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Lindsay. 
I feel like it's super long overdue. It, I've had this podcast for almost five years now, and I can't believe I'm just now interviewing you. So thanks for doing this. Of course. Oh, that's cool. You got going early in the podcast world. Seriously. I know. I can't believe it. Five years this April, and I don't know if you know this. I don't know. Sarah's on a million podcasts all the time, but... You know, she was really my first pro, really my second pro, because Molly Ludlow was my first. But um, Sarah was one of my first, like, dream big guests. I think she was episode seven or eight. Oh, nice. Very cool. I'll have to go back and listen to that episode. That was a while ago now, huh? So long. I mean, literally, I think I've interviewed her maybe four times now. But I was when I was doing prep for this interview for you, I was kind of like looking at your marathon timeline. And then I was looking at Sarah's marathon timeline and realized like, okay, I interviewed Sarah for the first time in 2016. Um, and that debut marathon was just 2015. It's like crazy now thinking back like, wow, we had no idea what was about to really happen in her career over these last five years, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, my career is just winding down and hers was just winding up. And uh, yeah, it's been uh, amazing. I think really inspiring for other people to look at. Because, you know, she wasn't she wasn't a spring chicken at the time five years ago. You know, right. She was still 32 years old. So it wasn't like she was new to the sport or anything. And, you know, looking back at where she started at 242 for her first marathon, which is not a shabby debut, but it's not like a world class debut, you know. Right. And uh, see where she is now, five years later, running 220 for the marathon. It's it should should be encouraging to everyone that no matter how old you are, no matter where you're at, no matter how many years you've been running, because she'd already been running for 20 years at that point as well. So um, no matter where you're at on your journey, you know, you can always improve. You can always get better. And uh, and if you're not like like I was in that situation five years ago where I was kind of at the end of my running journey, then you can always find something else to, to look at and do and improve at, you know, with myself transitioning into the weights and finding kind of new hobbies and new, new physical goals to go after. Yeah, I remember that too, because you had just gotten into the weightlifting. And I specifically remember in my talking points for that episode, I was like, ask about Ryan's weightlifting. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still oh, doing yeah. it. I'm still going. I'm still going. My my mom, she described me as a child, as a, I was like a dog when they get a bone and they just can't stop chewing on something. That's <laughs> that's how I am. So that's how I was with running for 20 years, you know, and I got into the weightlifting. And I think Sarah was kind of hoping it was just going to be this fad thing because <laughs> it is pretty different than running, you know, and it's hard to do both really well. So I don't do much running anymore. So like, for example, I haven't run since October 3rd and we're recording this in uh, February, you know, so you haven't um, even run a mile. No, uh, -uh. just or no anything. desire. No. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm just, uh, I'm so goal oriented and I just like, like I was saying, like once I get fixed on something, I got to just see what I can chew, how, how much I can chew on it, what I can get out of it. And so that's how I am with the weights right now. And, um, so now I'm all, all in and it's been fun now, even for myself, you know, look back at Sarah's progress in the marathon, but look at my progress in the weight room has just like been equally fun for me to experience and, um, go after and, and also just to 
healthy, you know, habit as a kind of full on dad and coach now to have something, some physical outlet as well in my day. Yeah. I'm curious though, because so I do a little bit of lifting, <laughs> not nothing Ryan Hall style, but, um, more than I've ever done. I mean, we're my, we're probably lifting, I'm probably lifting four days a week for about 45 minutes, which is way more than I ever did before. But, um, I never feel like I'm like scratching the workout itch unless I'm also doing a, a good amount of cardio too. So do you ever feel like you're missing that component or do you just go so hard in the weight room that you feel like you don't need that extra cardio? I think for me, I do operate on like fairly short rest. So I'll stay in like fairly decent cardio shape. Mm. Um you know, now I'm kind of like, I'm trying to put on weight and eating a ton of food. I'm doing as little cardio as I can. So, <laughs> but I bet I could still go out and run eight miles if I wanted to and not like fast or anything, but I could cover the distance, you know? So I feel like the gym kind of keeps me in shape. And also I just feel like that stuff comes back to me so quick to where if I want to get in shape, um, like I, I I'm kind of, I am this chair challenge for 2021 of uh trying to deadlift 500 pounds and do a sub five minute mile at the same time so you like take the weight to the track and you actually do it on the starting line okay. the clock starts as soon as you touch the bar and then you, you gotta do all of it under five minutes and uh like i can already deadlift 510 but i need to work on my running now because i didn't run at all recently uh, but that stuff comes back to me quick and I also see it as again like I'm so goal focused and trying to get my deadlift my squat you know the power lifting moves the squat deadlift and bench trying to get those numbers up as much as I can I see running is a little bit of a nemesis to that mm. and I know the more I run the, the slower the gains are going to be in the weight room. So I really, I, I kind of like see running as some, like it's obviously a huge passion of mine, a craft, you know, I have a business run free training where we coach athletes. Like I love the sport of running, but like personally for my own hobby, I'm like a mad scientist in the weight room trying to figure out how I can get, increase my strength, increase my size. And I'm always playing with things and always learning in the gym and watching videos on Instagram and YouTube and all that. Like I I just love like learning about athletics in general and then there's a lot of translation a lot of stuff I'm learning in the weight room is helping me be a better coach as well uh, but I'm yeah very fixated on that habit or on my numbers my goals so much so that I'm not willing to like make trades because uh, I do at times you know I'm watching Sarah run I'm still out there like biking with her so I'm still like out there doing it I'm just not running I'm on a bike instead but there's times when we're on like single track trails or up in the mountains I'm like yeah it does look kind of nice to go for a run but um I can put that away and just focus on my goals do you find that some of your athletes that come to you for the run free coaching are they seeking it out specifically because they know you're super into weightlifting now and they want to they want that to be a big part of their training I think so I think people are a little bit like curious because I would do my weights and we can talk about this later I love talking about weights and running uh, but I would do it a lot differently than I did it in my career mm -hmm. so I think people are a little bit curious like how I would structure my weights and how I do structure our weights for our athletes now um, and then there are some athletes have reached out about like weight like weightlifting coaching specifically mm -hmm. and uh, and I try to refer those clients to like other like lifting specific programs just because that is not my wheelhouse you know like I spent 20 years learning the craft of running from you know not only from my own experiences but from the best coaches in the world as well so I feel like I've really like 
paid the dues and I know my stuff in running, but I, you know, when it comes to like putting on size and strength, like I said, I'm very much just experimenting with myself at this point. And I don't like experimenting on athletes, especially if athletes are paying a monthly fee, <laughs> they should be getting the tried and true training, not the experimental stuff. So I don't experiment on Sarah. I don't experiment on any other athletes. Um, and that was one of the things when I was running professionally and I was coaching myself, um, that kind of got me in trouble a little bit where I was experimenting on myself. Mm. And, uh, so now, you know, I, I give my athletes the tried and true stuff and just experiment on myself in the weight room. And, you know, if I have a bad day in the weight room, it doesn't really matter. Um, but for our athletes, I want to make sure they're, they're well taken care of, but we have had like some fun athletes I've worked with. Um, one was from Thailand and she's like a little hundred pound girl and she was into powerlifting and ultra running at the same time. And so I was, I was coaching her along with one of our other coaches and she was super fun to work with. And I love just seeing like videos of her, um, deadlifting a whole bunch of weight. She was just a little tiny girl. <laughs> and, uh, so I've had a couple fun experiences like that. Oh, that's so awesome. Do you, what do you think, like, if you hadn't found this joy in weightlifting, you're clearly someone that wants to go all in on something, obviously your career with running and now this, like, what else do you think you would have done? And do you think that you would have struggled with um, that transition more if you wouldn't have had that outlet? Yeah, I always tell people, you know, whether you're a pro athlete transitioning out of the sport or you're just transitioning jobs or, you know, any big transition in life, I think it's super important. What was most helpful for me was just staying true to who I am and getting to the what what I really loved about running, like really thinking about like, well, what is it that really gets me going about running? And what I really loved is I love seeing improvement. I love pushing myself every day. I love going super hard. I love hard physical challenges. So, you know, there's a ton of different activities that meet, that tick all those boxes, you know, like lifting is one of them. But, you know, if, if the weightlifting, if I stop improving, stop having fun in the weight room, then I'll find something else for sure. Like I love mountaineering. Mm. Um, I climb Mount Shasta with some of my buddies a couple summers ago and uh and also climbed uh not Mount Sh- I climbed Mount Shasta but then I also climbed uh, what's the big one in Washington Rainier uh which was super fun so I could see myself getting into into mountaineering and they're like at times obstacle course racing looks kind of fun Spartan races tough mutters like all that stuff I just love like physical challenges so anything that presents a physical challenge would be true to who I am as a human being and would would be healthy for me. And I think it's really important to see that about your, to be able to identify things about yourself and see it as like a, a healthy need, you know? Cause I think sometimes I felt maybe a little bit guilty that I needed to get outside every day and run every day and push myself in training felt like a little bit self-centered, a little bit Mm, selfish, mm -hmm. but I've kind of like shifted that as being like, no, this is actually just something I need to be a healthy individual. So, you know, rather than being like a martyr dad that never does anything that I enjoy, like I'm going to give myself 60 to 90 minutes every day to go into my garage and bang out some weights and that's okay. Um, Not feel guilty about that. Yeah, I struggle with that a little bit too. I know that physical, like I know that six days a week for my mental state, like it's best if I do get that 60 minutes of exercise in. And sometimes I do struggle with that guilt when my kids are at school and I'm like, I should be using this six hours to work. But I also know that like, 
I work better when I've done that 60 minutes. So five hours, you know, with the one hour of physical activity is much better than six hours with no physical activity. Absolutely. Yeah, you got it. I think that's one key to being successful as a parent is just like knowing what you need and realize that it's important that your needs get met as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, So what does the Hall household look like? I mean, obviously, Sarah had her amazing performance at the Marathon Project, and that was probably a super high high for your family. What are you guys up to January, February? Yeah, (laughs) this is kind of like the rhythm of a pro lifestyle. It's not super glamorous, you know, it's like you have those super high moments like we had at the Marathon Project, London Marathon, and then there's always a backside of that mountain. You come back down and you're just like, whoa, life is uh, just got slow and feels quiet. And <laughs> it's like you can't be an adrenaline drunk junkie and be a professional runner at the same time. So things are like pretty mellow right now. You know, our kids are in online school and um, so they're home all day, but they're just doing their thing on the computer like it hasn't been super hard for us their school has been really great with online learning and so you know I go play with them we go on hikes and stuff after they finish school to get them outside and then you know it's just like dinner homework just the usual stuff and Sarah's uh, prepping for the track trials they're coming up in June in uh, Eugene and so we're you know looking for races we're kind of like a lot of other runners out there right Mm -hmm. now where you you find a race, you sign up for it, and then gets canceled. Like she was supposed to run uh, the rack half um, in uh, United Arab Emirates, and that just got canceled. So, um, you know, there's a lot of races like that where she's signing up, and then. So you kind of, when you sign up now, I feel like you got to do it kind of with like a open hand approach to mm-hmm. it. Just be like. I'm going to train for this race, but if it gets canceled, I'm not going to freak out. It's not the end of the world. And you got to just kind of keep your eye on, on the race schedule and see, but I'm encouraged that more races are happening. You know, it's cool to see like Chicago announcing when they're going to have theirs and same with Boston marathon. And, um, I'm really encouraged that like stuff is going to start to happen more as the vaccine kind of has longer time to get out, you know? Yes, that's exciting. I feel like summer, summer feels really hopeful to me. We're still kind of like trudging through the winter and like the early stages of of the first people getting vaccinated. But summer feels super hopeful to me. Yeah. I'm curious, you know, you kind of brought up coaching Sarah a little bit earlier. And um, let's just talk about that now. Man, what an incredible year for Sarah. So incredible. I'm curious what it's been like as her husband and her coach walking through these last couple years with her. I mean, coming off of the heartbreak of the trials, when I talked to Sarah after London, um, you know, she she spoke on that like that was still really hard for her. Um, So talk about what that's felt like as both a husband and a coach. Yeah, uh, it's it's been... uh... It's been a roller coaster ride of emotions, that's for sure. But I will say this, you know, like it's the hard times that make the sweet times so sweet, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, having London happen in the wake of the trials it just made it all the more sweet, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah and then the marathon project was just another like great opportunity that popped up and we're just like let's let's go take a swing at a time you know in these uncertain times you're never sure when you're gonna find yourself on the starting line of a flat fast marathon where you know it was a unique opportunity that josh cox and ben created in az elite i mean i was thinking about it going into the race i was like i wish i would have had this opportunity when i was a pro runner you know like who gets a chance to run on a pancake flat course perfect conditions you know sarah had like four pacemakers like i've never had i don't i don't know if i've ever had a specific pacemaker just for me in any race that i've ever (laughs) done so um just a a crazy opportunity for her and she really capitalized on it. You know, she really put a time down out there, um, which that was, it was interesting. Uh, that experience, the thing specifically about the finish line of the marathon project versus the finish line of the London marathon, you know, going into the London marathon, Sarah's, her best time is way down on the list. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what it was going into the race. Like maybe she's like the eighth fastest girl or ninth fastest, or maybe it's even further down. I'm not even sure. Um, so, you know, we were just with every person she was passing, she was getting excited. I was getting more excited. And then we were just like ecstatic at the finish line, you know, and then compared to the marathon project where, you know, we were seeing her run some phenomenal workouts and we were like, she could not only break the American record, but she could shatter it. And uh, that was kind of our expectation going into that race. And so then, you know, fast forward to the finish line there. I remember thinking to myself, like, why am I not more excited Ah. about this? Like she just ran 220.32, you know, and I was telling myself and her all the right things heading into the race where we're like, you know, like anything you get that's a PR is great. We're going to celebrate. We're going to be stoked about. We purposefully like didn't, we weren't pushing out on our social or anywhere else that Mm. we're going to go after the American record. You know, we're trying to make it like a low key, but Hey, we're going to try and go run fast. And I think her workouts were just showing that she's ready to roll. And so at the finish line, we're kind of like, Oh, like she didn't quite run as fast as we thought she could run, you know? And so both of us at the finish line, we're kind of like, it was like a little bit of a, Oh, you cut out. Are you still there? Into a race. And you know, I know this, I've been doing this for years and years and years. Um, but like it's so so important that you go on the starting line no matter how training's gone like you just have like open hand so that you can truly like celebrate whatever you get and you don't have this expectation of even though like if my training is showing i'm ready to run this fast like i i'm still gonna have an open hand that hey this could play out a lot of different ways even if i don't hit the time that my training shows that i'm ready to hit like i'm still just gonna be excited with getting 100% out of myself on the day and really make that truly your goal and and make that truly what you're going to celebrate more than like breaking a record or hitting a certain time or standard. So, um, yeah, it's kind of like a, a unique, both those races back to back and thinking about the finish line and, and the emotions that were happening. But I will say that, um, you know, after the marathon project, that was a race that it kind of like began to set in more and more like, Whoa, she really ran like 220. Like there's kind of that initial kind of like letdown. And then now it's, it's more like the further we get from it, we're like, wow, that was like really special. That was really cool. So I think there's also like space to, to like have grace for yourself to be like, okay, even if my reaction wasn't necessarily what I'd hoped it would be on the finish line, like you are still like choosing your reaction to that race every single day after, Mm. After the race and how you reflect back on it. 
Totally. Um, quick note for the audio, everybody. Ryan cut out. You cut out for about ten seconds, but um, I can piece it together. I don't think it'll be a problem. But if anybody notices a little skip up, that's what it was. Um, wow. You know, going into the marathon project. So I I interviewed Sarah after London, and I said after I said this to her, I kind of kicked myself. Like I hope I didn't sound like <laughs> an ass <laughs> to everybody else running in the race because I said, man. Coming off that 222 in London, can anybody keep up with you? <laughs> and then <laughs> afterwards, I felt kind of like, ooh, I feel, you know, I don't want to, I don't mean that nobody's fast enough, but just based on what Sarah's been doing, it seemed like to me that unless Jordan Hase was out there and healthy, that nobody could keep up with her. And, um, you know, Sarah was super gracious and she's like, you know, there's so many amazing American women out there right now. Um, but then as the race played out, I was like, wait, maybe I was right, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, well, it's been cool to see, like, I mean, American distance running on the women's side has been getting better and better for a long time, you know? Um, but it's cool to see, like, Sarah continue to be able to push that envelope down and, and see other girls responding to that as well, you know? It was cool to see Kellen go with Sarah and try and run 219. Like, that's a big deal to go out yeah. under 70 minutes for a half marathon. So, I mean, that's really what anyone needs for a breakthrough is we need a whole bunch of people going out there taking a swing and uh you know if sarah can inspire some people to go take a swing then um, we're going to continue to see american distance running thriving yeah and i'm just curious what are your thoughts on kira damato wasn't that crazy Oh, yeah, that was a phenomenal run. I mean, she's been running well, you know, all year. So I'm excited to see what she can do in the future. But she seems like she's just building up ahead of steam, you know. So, um, yeah, phenomenal run by her. And it was cool to see, like, her reaction at the finish line. She was so stoked uh -huh. with her time. Um, and that that's what kind of made me think about, like, Sarah and Maya's reaction. Because I was like, well, Sarah just ran, like, almost three minutes faster than that. And we were like bummed out. Like, uh -huh. why, why is that? You know, we should, we should do a little attitude check. <laughs> yeah. But don't you think like, don't do you feel excited knowing what you know? Like you said, she, you, you thought she could blow the American record out of the water. Um, and you know that the training was there. So like, isn't that so exciting to think of like what that next cycle could be? Oh, yeah. 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 You know, it's one of those things where you're kind of putting that thought on the back burner a little bit because mm. we know we have the trials, the yeah. 10K uh, to train for. So, you know, that's very much the focus now at this point. And I'm actually really, really grateful that she has the 10K to train for. Um, you know, looking back at my career, I think that was really the mistake that I made was getting too far away from my 5K and 10K mm. fitness. And understandably so, like I hated doing a bunch of track work. I didn't like training for the 5K once I became a marathoner, but really like that's what I needed to do to continue to run the times I was capable of. And, you know, the further I got from that 5K fitness, the harder and harder the half marathon got and the full marathon got. And, you know, like Sarah's running some pretty insane marathon times considering what her best 5K and 10K times are. Like mm. she's... And not that she can't run a lot faster than she has run, because I know that she can, but we need to actually go out and do that. And we need to get her in the best 5K and 10K shape of her life. You know, she's trying to run a marathon 
at 517 pace and she's got to be pretty comfy at five minute pace over 10k mm. um so we gotta we gotta work on her 10k fitness and get it as fast as we possibly can um so that we can come back and take a take you know some cracks at some fast times in the half marathon marathon yeah what i mean this is kind of a broad basic question but like what are some what are some things that you're doing to shift that focus? Yeah, so this is something that I picked up from Terrence Mahan, who coached me up in Mammoth, you know, when I ran 59 minutes and 206 for the marathon was um, his approach was a little bit different than, say, Meb's coach, Bob Larson, his philosophy. You know, they would kind of do the traditional run a marathon, take time off, do base building, and then just go from there. Whereas Terrence was always a fan of you take the time off, you do a couple weeks of base building, but then you go more to 5k base training. So, which that always just made a ton of sense to me, you know, mm -hmm. as a marathoner, we spend, you know, a marathon buildup, a 12 week specific marathon buildup is essentially base training. You're doing long thresholds, you're doing far art lakes are doing long runs that's base training so like why would you do base training and then do more base training on top of that especially why would you do that when your 5k fitness is really in my mind is like the limiting factor in how fast you can run a marathon the faster and that's i think this is across the board like the faster you are over 5k the faster you'll be over a marathon mm. and so it's so, so important to work on that 5k speed. And like me, like it doesn't come natural. So you got to spend a lot of time working on it. So that's something that's like a little bit different than we do at run free where we'll take our athletes, they'll take their break after the marathon, then they'll work heavily on that 5k and speed work. So, um, what that actually looks like to answer your question is you're obviously reducing the volume a lot, which is very, very helpful when you're coming off a marathon buildup where you've been running a ton of miles, your legs are pretty trashy. And usually you actually feel okay coming back into training because you tapered. And so your legs are a little bit fresher, but they're a little bit trash from the race. Uh, but reducing that volume, give you a little bit more spring in your legs so that you can get on the track. And it's usually not a whole lot of fun. Like <laughs> usually these first like month back and you're doing 5k specific work, you're busting out 400s. 800s doing short sprints not running a lot of volume not doing a bunch of threshold based training it's usually like not in people's wheelhouses and not very fun so it's super important that athletes understand why it's so important because if they understand why it's important then they'll buy into it and they'll put all of themselves into it and they'll get way more out of it you know it's like it's like us in the weight room if we're in the weight room and you don't have a goal and you're just moving weight around and you're not thinking about what you're doing you're thinking about like your to-do list and stuff you're you're not making a strong mind muscle connection you are not going to get as much out of that workout so really really important i think the athletes understand okay this is why developing your 5k speed is so so important so um you know it's we're reducing the volume we're doing lots of 200s 400s um that kind of stuff just getting her wheels back on and uh and working from a speed and then trying to build on top of that speed and we will like do some threshold running do some longer repeats and stuff like that but for the most part we're just really working on uh, getting her wheels back under her wow I really like that analogy in the weight room and now I'm thinking oh so I shouldn't be checking my email and doing that kind of stuff in between my <laughs> sets in my garage <laughs> Well, no, I think I, I mean, I do the same thing. It's just important that when you're under the weight, you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
in between sets, if you want to check your email and stuff, that's fine. I mean, it's good to take oftentimes with our runners. What I find is that they don't take enough rest between mm. sets. So like, like they get bored. Right. And yeah. I understand that. Like it can be boring. Just like, okay, you're gonna wait for two minutes before you move weight again. But like, honestly, if you're gonna be moving a lot of weight and you're gonna get the most out of it, you need to be resting for two minutes. So like, for example, with my lifting, I'll start off with my most important lift of the day first. Cause whatever you do first, you're gonna get the most benefit from okay. start off with that. And I'll give myself plenty of rest on that, like two minutes rest. And then as the workout goes on and on, it becomes more auxiliary training. I'll get shorter and shorter on the recoveries, like get down to 45 seconds even. But early on, when you're really focused on strength adaptation, you need plenty of rest between sets. So I mean, it's not a big deal to be checking your email between and doing stuff between. Like I like to get work done in between. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> you're going to be there. Might as well get something done. But I always remind myself and I literally every single day I'm reminding myself, be here, like be under the weight, focus on what you're doing. It's crazy. Sometimes like I'll just not be focused and I'll just set the weight down. And then the next set I'll do like three or four more reps for that set. I'm like, how come I could do three or four more reps? It's just because I was actually present in my mind and I was focused on what I was doing and my mind muscle connection was super strong. And that's something I picked up from the lifting space. Like that's what Kai Green, one of the best bodybuilders in the world is all about, is about this mind muscle connection. And he's so spot on with that. And I think runners can learn a lot from that. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember when I was running, I remember trying to activate my glutes when I was running. Like I couldn't even stand and activate my glute, meaning like turn it on, make mm -hmm. it strong, make it, make it firm, you know, like I didn't even know how to turn it on. So like if I can't stand there and turn it on, I'm not going to be able to turn it on when I'm running, you know? So like it's actually a skill. I think that it's important for all runners to develop is how to actually use the muscle that we have. Yeah, that glute activation too, because I've had some hamstring issues and gone to the uh, athletic trainers and they, they make you like lay on the ground and squeeze your butt and lift up your leg. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. you can't figure, it's it's so hard to get that connection. You, I totally get what you're saying. And, you know, even, yeah, with bench pressing, when I'm trying to do a little bit heavier, yeah, if I'm not like totally focused on my breathing and paying attention to like my arms pushing that weight up, I'm not going to get it up. Oh, totally. And it's also, it's a matter of safety as well. Yeah. Um, when you're not totally there, like bench press in particular, like if you are not squeezing everything, right? Like you're retracting your, your shoulder blades, like your shoulders are set in place, like everything's firm, your breath is controlled, like you, your chance of injury goes way, way higher. So, um, like turning that stuff on is also a way to like make sure you don't get hurt. Hey, everybody, a quick break here to thank Lily Trotters for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you are looking for a compression sock that gets the job done and is also super cute at the same time, look no further than Lily Trotters. Whether you are running a marathon or a mile, standing all day or sitting through a long flight, there's compression for your every need at Lily Trotters made with love and built for the long run in the USA. This is a woman-owned company as well. I've gotten to know my friends at Lily Trotters for several years now, and I cannot recommend this brand enough. You can save 25% when you go to lilytrotters.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. All right, friends, and I want to let you know 
I'm screaming it on the rooftops because I'm so excited about my new parenting podcast I have started. It's called Why Is Everyone Yelling? And I'm bringing on experts on all kinds of different topics related to parenting every week over there. We just had an episode on screen time and how to build a tech plan for your family. And I love the message of that episode. It is connect more with your kids and worry less. We also have episodes on goal setting with kids, unmet expectations in motherhood, raising kids free of gender and ethnic bias, nurturing a love for sport and play. That's with Katie Arnold. That's a great one. Empowering our kids to protect them against abuse. Ooh, here's the most downloaded episode. It's episode eight and it's with Miranda Anderson on having less stuff and more adventure in your life. So many great episodes over there with some amazing guests. Make sure you check it out. It's called Why Is Everyone Yelling? If you have a new baby in your life, I have a recent episode that I just put out about helping get your baby sleep to sleep through the night. So that's a good one as well. Uh, all right. And if you're enjoying any of the shows on the Sandy Boy Podcast Network, make sure you leave us a rating and review. Send us some love that way. That's super helpful in getting the word out about the podcasts. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Ryan Hall. Okay, so when I was like writing my notes up for this interview, I thought, oh my gosh, there's so many things we could cover. There's so many places we could go. Um, We have to go to your running history. We have to touch on it a little bit. I think probably a lot of the listeners know your story of being this high school standout and going to Stanford. Um, I'm curious, though. When I when I think of your career as a fan of the sport, you know, I think of the the 59 minute half in Houston. I think of the 204 58 in Boston. Like those are the two moments that stand out in my head. But I'm curious for you, what were pivotal moments and like what were like career topping the chart moments for you? Yeah, well, I think uh, I think you hit the nail on the head with the with the two ones that you mentioned. Yeah, uh, you know, definitely that fifty nine forty three is still one that like I don't fully you know it it is easier looking back hindsight right like I've already talked a lot about like how getting away from the five k training really hurt me as I got older as a marathoner mm. and half marathoner. And I think it explains why like so that was my first marath- half marathon was the 59.43 and I think looking back on it the reason why is because what has always come natural to me is uh, threshold based training right so when I was in high school training for the mile I could run 10 miles at five minute pace in training. So like, and without even really working on it very much, just with like a little bit of threshold based training. So that threshold stuff just always came natural to me. And, and, and is why, like I came on the scene and could run a really good half marathon marathon right away. But then I had a hard time holding on to it. Whereas someone like Sarah had, you know, didn't come on very strong, but has just gotten better and better and better. Mm. And I think that's more the case for someone who has more natural fast twitch, um, more natural speed is better on the track. Like she's always had a quickness that I've never had before. 
Um, so I think that's why it took her a while to develop the threshold to be able to support her goals, um, over the half marathon, marathon distance. Like it's just going to take longer for her to get to her top end because she is more fast twitch. And there's a little bit of like, you have to convert a certain amount of fast twitch to slow twitch and all of that. But I think a lot is just like, it takes a while to build your aerobic machine. Whereas like the aerobic, my aerobic capacity is just pretty uh, i was pretty talented in that area so that stuff just always just kind of came natural to me so um but i've really struggled on the track you know but i was so i was focused on my weakness basically the whole time at stanford trying to run a good when i went there as a freshman i was focused on the 800 meters which is funny to think about (laughs) now in hindsight but you know i was working on 800 and then 1500 and then 5k my last two years at stanford and then ran a full year professionally where i was just focused on my 5k development and then all of a sudden i turned back to my strength of being a threshold based runner and doing longer distance training and it was just like bang everything clicked right because i had been worked working on my weakness for so long and i was the best i'd ever been at my weakness so then when i went to my strength it was just like game on like everything clicked right and uh, i just remember going into that the half marathon in houston just feeling ridiculous like i don't mm. think i've ever felt that good before ever felt that good since um two days before the race i woke up i was in big bear lake where i grew up in southern california and it just dumped like two feet of snow like fresh powder and you know a couple cars had driven on the road but that was it the plows hadn't come through yet but i just put on my yak tracks went for my easy 40 minute run and i remember i just felt amazing i was like i feel so i feel like i'm gonna run out of my shoes right now like <laughs> that kind of spring you know and i was like if i feel like this in the snow i was like wow like i don't know what's gonna happen but it's gonna be something good and then you know fast forward an hour later i'm sitting in a ditch because uh, we're driving off the mountain we slid into a ditch and we got stuck and they closed the roads and we missed our flight oh my gosh like Oh, I was the biggest ball of stress you've ever seen before. I was literally like slamming my fist on the steering wheel because I was so mad. And the reason why is because I knew I just had that run and my training had been going phenomenal the whole time. I was like, I am going to run something crazy. And then all of a sudden it was like, poof, it was gone. Mm -hmm. It's like, I can't even get to the airport. Like, I'm not going to get to do this race, you know? So uh, you can imagine like how I was just losing it. And I totally lost my cool, like did not do a good job (laughs) keeping myself composed and then you know like i remember i was sitting at this old school looking diner you know in the mountains having a salad and just kind of like like mourning the loss of my half marathon but then the sun came out and then eventually the roads opened i got off the mountain and i flew in the day before houston got there with like just enough daylight to drive the course and then had a splitting headache all night like slept like two hours slept terrible just this was not like a recipe for a perfect race, you know, but like none, none of that mattered because the fitness was there and because I was feeling just phenomenal and, you know, got out in the race and it was like, it it was one of those races where it just felt like the faster you go, the better you feel. And so much so that it was like scary to me because I was running way faster than I was supposed to be running faster than my coach and I talked about it. But, you know, I just went back to this, like 
I just pictured myself back in Mammoth training, doing a threshold on Green Church Road, which is like kind of the famous road we use up in Mammoth. And just thinking like, if I was in practice, could I sustain this effort for an hour or for 13 mile threshold? And if the answer is yes, I'm gonna keep going. And every time I did that and I checked in and I visualized myself back in Mammoth, I was like, I know I can, this feels easier than training. So even though like I looked down that third mile and it's 428 and I was like, ooh, like that's, that's probably too fast, <laughs> but it, it felt right, you know, and I think that's something that's important to be said in today's day and age with technology and everyone's mm-hmm. got their watches and it's telling them their heart rate and all this data is just all, all over us all the time. Sometimes we just got to get back to how does it feel, mm-hmm. you know, go back to that body, that body connection, you know, body mind connection and, um, going back to just the feel of it and the flow of it, just going like really old school with it. And, uh, really glad that I did that, you know, because it was one of those races where you finish and you're like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna run a lot faster than that. You know, that's just my first half marathon. I'm 23 years old. Like, Oh, that's, I'm just getting started. You know, like, of course that's how I was thinking. And then of course I didn't run, (laughs) I never ran within a minute of that time, you know? So I think it's really important that when you do have those moments and your opportunity comes that you do it based on like feel and not so much based on data. Cause if I was just listening to data, if I was just looking at, I don't even, I don't have no idea what my heart rate was. I was wearing like a Timex, <laughs> but I knew what my, my splits were, you know, um, if I would have done it based off my splits, I would have slowed down. I would have run a lot slower and I would have never broken an hour for a half marathon. So that's kind of my takeaway lesson, but that's certainly like one of those races I look back on and it really never was hard. Um, with the exception of, I had a little bit of a stomach issue, like mile, like 10 or nine that lasted for about a mile and then it passed. And, uh, it, it was really, like one of the easier races I've ever run, you know? So that's also a good reminder. I I like to think a lot about like the mental side of running and just realize that the mental component is a component for sure. Like there's a definite connection. There's times when the mental becomes more and more important, but then there's also times when physically like you're just on fire and it doesn't matter what you're thinking. Like you're just going to run out of your mind, you know? So to not, not necessarily like put so, so much pressure on the mental side of things. And sometimes just like turn your mind off and just like let your body just run. Yeah. I mean, there's so much, you're limiting yourself so much when you obsess over that pace. I mean, in a much different scale, uh, when I ran the New York City Marathon in 2019, I was like, not in the best shape, definitely not in PR shape. But I ran a time that was like, probably 10 or 15 minutes faster than I thought I was capable of. And that's because I was just like, I'm just going to run hard and do what I think I'm capable of and not really pay attention to my watch. And had I been paying attention to my watch, I would have seen like 720 on my wrist and thought, oh my gosh, you can't sustain this, you know? Um, And so I think that that's just super tangible information for anybody, whether you're running a five-hour marathon or a three-hour or a 230 marathon. Yeah, totally. And it's it's such a balancing act, right? It's like at times um, I'm all my athletes like one of my athletes just ran a half marathon and I told her very specifically do not go out faster than this pace Mm. and then she went out faster than that pace and she ran fine but not as fast as I knew she could run Mm -hmm. you know so I was like dang it and I was like (laughs) uh, you know frustrated after the race um but 
you know, if it went the other way and she would have went out way faster than I said, but then she killed it, I would have been like, oh, good job. I'm glad <laughs> you can listen to me, you know? Right. So, yeah, it can be a, a complicated issue. And I think it kind of goes back to, like, how much do you want to risk, you know? Like, Sarah and I talk about this all the time, like, high risk, high reward. Mm-hmm. Like, if you are willing to risk a lot and you hit it, you're really going to get a big reward out of it, you know, huge PR, run way faster than you think. But you also got to come to grips with the reality that you could very well blow up and run terrible. And I think that's kind of like an important message for me and my story, because I was very much that dreamer who's just going to go take big risk all the time, go out with the Kenyans, go out with the Ethiopians like I didn't care, go out super hard, you know, and that's all fine and good. And I, I prefer that. Like, I'd rather... I'd rather run out of my mind one out of 10 than run like mm. pretty good, like seven out of 10, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you better develop an attitude of resilience and ability to be able to bounce back from disappointment. If you're going to be a big dreamer, if you're going to take big risk and potentially blow up a bunch of times and failure is just, it's such a great teacher. It is such an important tool to be successful, but you have to see it that way. And it took me a long time to just change the way I thought about failure. Cause before I mean, when I was a kid growing up, I was super into baseball. And when I was playing Little League, I would cry every time I'd strike out. Like, if I failed, I saw myself as a failure, you know? And I had, it was a lot of years working through that, working on that issue and realizing that no, like, just because I fail doesn't make me a failure. That's failure. Failing is happens to everyone. That's just part of the process. That's part of getting to be great at anything. And it's, it's just, like I said, a super valuable teacher. When, when you see it that way, then you, you not only like are okay with failure, but you actually seek it out. You actually put yourself in positions where you want to fail because you know, you're just going to grow a ton from that. But it, it requires a lot of maturity to get to that point where you can see failure in a positive light. Yeah. And I think one of the, one of the pieces to that is like getting over caring what other people think when they see you fail. Definitely. Cause that's yeah, hard. That's huge. Yeah, especially with social media and stuff, which is why I kind of like to share some of my failures on social media. Yeah. I feel like we need more of that, you know, and I get it. Like we want to inspire people. Uh-huh. And it's fun to like show our best, ourselves at our best, but that's also not like real, you know? <laughs> right. So, you know, 2007, you run the 59, you think, oh my gosh, I can't believe all the times that, you know, how fast I'm going to be able to do this. So looking back at your career, Um, 2016, you announced your retirement. So that's nine years later. What do you make of it? And how do you make, like, how have you made peace with like that being your fastest half marathon, that debut half marathon? You know, how do you make peace with all this? I mean, not to say that it wasn't a crazy success, but like arguably the fastest American marathoner and um, definitely someone who could have meddled at the Olympics. So I'm just curious, like, how does all of this sit with you now? Yeah, I think, uh, I think two things. Uh, first for me, like gratitude, you know, like for me, there's always like two ways I can look at it, like what could have been or what I'm thankful for, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so, but then there's another piece to this that's equally important. And that is passing along the lessons that I learned. Mm. So if I am just grateful, but then I don't pass along what I learned, well, then I'm just like 
kind of throwing away the knowledge that was given to me through those failures and through those shortcomings. Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, if I can be grateful and then I can pass along to other people, Hey, like this is where I got it wrong. This is where I turned off the course. This is the adjustments I would make if I could go back and do this all over again, then it's like complete completeness for me. It's like, okay, I can be grateful for what was. And then it's not for not the things that I did wrong, the things I messed up doing. I'm sharing these things. I'm sharing these lessons, like even on this podcast right now, you know, talking about the things I messed up. And now someone's going to hear this. They're not going to make the same mistake. You know, they're going to learn from my experience and be better for it. And so then I'm like, I'm good with my failures then. You know, I'm good with the fact that, yeah, I never ran faster in the half marathon or, you know, never topped off the marathon, never ran as fast in the marathon as I thought I could. Like I can accept that because I learned some very valuable lessons of why that is and now i'm passing that on through content on social media through podcasts through our our run free training business like i am you know those those lessons i learned are so valuable and i paid a dear price for them Mm. and they're not dead like they are going to help other people now and that gives me like that fulfillment of like okay this wasn't wasted you know like and every (laughs) i get this reminder actually every time i do uh sarah's workout nine days or 10 days before her last marathon we always do a six mile threshold run and i'm reminded of this every single time we do a six mile threshold run because um the year when i ran my new york city marathon i think it was, it was the year meb won so i don't know what year that was 2009 mm. or something like that but i was in the best shape of my life like i had had some phenomenal training i wasn't feeling as you know i talked about that feeling before mm-hmm. the half marathon i didn't have that kind of like spring in my legs sensation but i was super super fit like i'd done some stuff in training that i'd never done before and uh but the thing was is we we tinkered and played with my training a little bit and 10 days before that race i did a 10 or sorry a 15 mile threshold rather than our usual 6 mile threshold threshold and that might not that might sound like a big difference to listeners it might not um to me like it didn't seem like a huge shift i mean it is it's it's over twice the distance you know but um i didn't i thought it'd be fine because it's 10 days out from the race and uh you know i got in that race in new york city marathon and i just felt flat as a pancake like the entire time and uh it was really one of those the few races in my career where i felt like dang it like we missed it you know Mm. we did something to kind of sabotage myself in the taper weeks and so you know as a result like i have really not changed i've I've changed like tinkered with mainly my training comes from what i learned at mammoth mammoth track club terrence mahan meb dina all the stuff i observed working for those guys and that i use myself essentially that's the backbone of what sarah does now i have made like I think some important adjustments to that training, but the taper I haven't messed with at all. I'm like, the taper is sacred. Like we're just going to do it the same. We know it works. It works every time. Like we just keep the taper the same. (laughs) And so, um, you know, that's one of those lessons that I paid a high price for. Like Mm -hmm. I really felt like I could have nailed something really special in New York that year. And I learned the 15 mile taper doesn't work 10 days before race. Mm. And so, 
Sarah has never made that mistake and she never will. And neither have any of my athletes that I coach with now, you know, um, and the coaches that I coach at run free, we're not making that mistake with our athletes. So, um, you know, that's kind of one example of things that you learn. And oftentimes we feel like our important journey that we're on, whether it's in running or a different sphere of life, we feel like it's all about us. But really, like we're learning these lessons so that we can pass it on to the next generation so that their ceiling can or so that our ceiling can become their floor. That that is the goal is to like raise the next generation to the next level, get them going higher and faster and further than we've ever gone. I mean, I've never hired a running coach, but you just convinced me to hire you. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Do you, um, you know, obviously you coach Sarah and you, and you have your community with Run Free, but do you coach any other pros? Uh, so I might start, <laughs> you can hear the hesitation in my voice. <laughs> pros is like kind of like a, a tricky term sometimes. Cause there's like athletes who have contracts or in between contracts. So I might start working with a couple. Um, I coach Rachel Johnson, but again, she's kind of like in between, um, contracts right now. I, so I do coach personally, I think I have 12 athletes right now and they're all at different levels, you know, like some of them are trying to Boston qualify. Some of them are just like regular runners. And then, you know, some are trying to hit Olympic trials times or um i coached this one guy from jordan mo who's been training with sarah um who's trying to hit a time that will qualify him for the olympics for the jordan um team so um yeah kind of like a variety of athletes and i really to be honest like i know like i'm an elite coach and i think people sometimes think like run freeze for like pros or elite runners but that's really not the case like i get just as fired up about like someone knocking off a 15 minute pr in the marathon if they're going from four hours to 340 um, then, you know, Sarah running, well, maybe not as much as when she was second at London. That was kind of as fired up as I've ever seen. Myself. <laughs> but I, I get fired up. by just like, I love just seeing athletes improve. Like that's what gets me going. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't really matter what level they're at. All right. So if I ever venture to try to break three hours in the marathon, I'm coming to you. All right. All right. Let me know. I love challenges. There are so many other things I want to get to, and we're kind of getting close on time, but I just, I want to mention a couple things for the listeners. Um, Ryan has a really good episode on his podcast where he talks about like walking through some depression and hard times in his life. And I think everybody should go listen to it. It's really good. And then um, also there are some things that we aren't going to have time to touch on that he talked about on um, Runners of the Bay podcast with Mimi and Bridget. So those are two other places. If you're like, oh my gosh, this interview is so great. I want to hear from more from Ryan. Definitely go check out those two resources. Um, and just speaking to you, Ryan, it's like I, when I was listening to your podcast, I was like, it would be so hard to do a podcast where you're just doing the talking. You know, I do all the interviewing <laughs> and I know you have guests on sometimes, but one time I did a Patreon episode. I have a Patreon page and um, usually my husband does episodes with me over there. And one time he was just slammed with work and he wasn't going to be able to get to it. So I did, I think, 18 minutes all by myself. And it's just like kind of awkward and weird and different. And you do a really good job with it. 
thank you. I appreciate it. And it does, it feels a little bit awkward and weird for me, you know, like I'm in my garage, just like talking <laughs> to a whiteboard where I have some notes written down, but, um, yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, my way to, to share the, like I said, the lessons I've learned. So I, I love sharing with people and yeah, it's been fun. I got almost 70 episodes now at the run free podcast. So we're, we're getting, uh, a lot of a lot of content that's hopefully helpful for people and that's all focused on you know uh, we really believe a run free training and myself personally have experienced this is just like what is going on inside of you is going to mm-hmm. come out and manifest itself athletically you know whether it's workouts or races so it's kind of like trying to work backwards trying to work from the inside out rather than just working on the training and the lifting and not that you know we are into that and and i have episodes specifically on like training and lifting so it's not exclusively what's going on in your mind and heart but uh, i try to focus on that mainly just because i feel like that's one of those uh, uh, really important pieces that needs to be a part of a holistic approach to training. Yeah, actually, the that I think the why you run episode is the one I I'm just halfway through it, but um, that's one of the ones I was excited to listen to. Okay, so I have to we have to talk about your faith a little bit. I grew up Christian of the Christian faith, so I've kind of always followed that part of your story and Sarah's story. And, you know, we kind of mentioned Terrence and when you left and God was coaching you and all that. As I've aged, I've really struggled with my faith and with doubts and all that. Um, and I and I bring this up on the podcast sort of frequently, depending on who my guest is. Um, so I'm curious, you know, when you're like a child and you're taught this like faith, you're taught about the Bible and you're taught about um, how to believe, like what to believe about God. But then as you get older, like all these, all these other facts and and things get popped, you know, thrown at you and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what I do believe. So my question to you is like, how have you stood firm in your faith through seasons where doubt might have crept in? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. You know, my, my views too, like are always evolving and being shaped and I'm not, you know, I think I used to think, you know, I grew up in a very traditional Christian family, which I'm super grateful for. Love my parents. They taught me a lot of amazing life lessons, continue to teach me, you know. So very, very grateful kind of for the tradition, the Christian tradition I grew up in. But uh, I think there can be a little bit of fear sometimes in conservative Christianity, or at least this was my experience, of change, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. of growth. And I think if there's anything I've learned in the physical space with training, whether it's weightlifting or running, the way to get better at something is to struggle with it, is to chew on it, is to fail at it, is to broaden your perspective. And I think in Christianity, sometimes I was kind of given this mindset of like, here's how it is. Now hold on to this as tightly as you can because the moment you lose your grip, it's all going to come out from under you and you're going to have nothing to stand on. Mm. You're going to lose it all. You know, this like fear of change, of growth, of progression, right? And so I think my perspective has certainly been evolving in my Christian faith as well, where like I can pick up a book on Buddhism and not be afraid of it. Mm. Like I've listened to like the whole like Buddhist texts, you know, like I, and I love it. 
It's, it's like outside the box stuff that I haven't heard before. And I'm like, this stuff is so good. And it's so helpful for me in my faith. Like, for example, we talk a lot about praying without ceasing as Christians. But how do you actually do that? And I think the Buddhists have that down in spades. Like talk about controlling your mind and your focus. Like that's what meditation is, right? Mm -hmm. And so like learning to incorporate like some of the beauty and the value and the powerful lessons from other traditions has been super helpful for me in my own faith. And I think it's a little bit dicey, you know, and I don't always even like talking about it because I think it does scare conservative Christians. Mm -hmm. But I don't feel like my faith has gotten worse for it. I feel like it's gotten better for it, you know? Um, and I think it's gotten bigger and broader and more loving, more accepting, more like what Jesus was about, you know? And so even though it has kind of gone outside of this neat box that I was given as a Christian, um, I feel like it's going in the right direction and it's, it's, getting better and and more fulfilling and more vibrant and more full so um yeah but i mean i'm still learning too i'm still growing i'm still very much wrestling with with my faith and the issues that are being presented in our world today so mm -hmm. um i'm i'm definitely still a student in in everything well that that's like an answer full of hope honestly like that was, I don't know what I expected you to say when I asked that question, but um, it made me feel really hopeful. And, you know, I think in in the world today, in 2020, 2021, it can feel like really unpopular to be of the Christian faith. And so, you know, I don't know. I don't know what my question is with that, but have, have you felt that in, in the recent years that um, it's become challenging? Yeah, yeah. I mean... For sure. I think just with like the issues that we're facing, uh, I don't, I think sometimes the, the Christian faith is not, I don't know what the right word is, but we're not like, not evolving with the times, but not like, uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just curious yeah. because, um, you know, I also grew, I grew up like a, in a conservative Christian home and, and I've, I've changed a lot and I've seen my parents and like some, you know, stay the same in a lot of, in a lot of ways. And it's just like, I've really wrestled with this a lot over the past year, like reconsidering certain things I once believed. And that's a good mm -hmm. thing, right? We want to change. We want to evolve. We want to reconsider right. things. You don't ever want to stay the same. Um, but I just wrestled with that a lot. And so I've, you know, as, as we've watched you and Sarah be open about your faith th throughout your careers, um, I've just wondered how the landscape has changed and, and what that's like today compared to maybe what it was like 10 years ago. Or was it hard then, too? Yeah. And I think I, I think we're coming from very similar places, like with our parents. Mm -hmm. And I think it's helpful for me to realize that, like, OK, their faith is working for them, like mm -hmm. having these more rigid like rules or however you want to say it, like just a more conservative faith. Um, it's working for them. And so being okay with like them staying in that space, you know, it's mm -hmm. like they don't have to believe everything. I believe in the same way that I don't have to believe everything they believe, you know, like being okay with if it's working for them, 
great. Like I'm happy for them, but doesn't mean that I have to stay in their box, you know, like Mm -hmm. I still get to evolve and grow and explore and I need to find something that works for me. I mean, isn't that what we want for our kids? You know, it's like, I would hate it if my kids felt like, guilty for not believing exactly what I believed, even if it wasn't working for them. Like that would be the worst, you know, like I want them to find something that works for them in life where there's like, feel so good about their faith and their beliefs and their value systems and how they see the world. And it's just like, so them, like there's nothing I want more than that. You know, like if they're just copycatting my beliefs and then they're miserable people to be around miserable people in life, then, Oh, that's sad. You know, I don't want them to be like that. And I'm sure our parents feel the same way about us. Yeah. Okay. So Speaking of fatherhood, how have things changed over the years? How many years has it been? Seven years? Eight years? How, how long ago did you guys adopt your girls? Yeah, so 2015, so six years about. Okay. What's changed? Like what have you, what has happened that you like didn't expect as far as like how you would be as a father? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Well, I think what's changed is I think I went out pretty hard. Like, (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, we went from no kids to four kids. And, like, it was like every second I was with the kids and, like, just, and it, that's, it was, it was good, you know, but it wasn't sustainable. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think I've kind of like learned a more sustainable rhythm of being like, okay, it's okay. Like for me to get some me time and have like healthy boundaries. I think, you know, like I tend to be a little bit of a people pleaser. So if I don't create healthy boundaries, I'll just like go and tell, I will just run myself into the ground and just like be a complete basket case and like get sick or have to take a bunch of time off or something, you know, and I'm learning to just like create healthy boundaries that I'm in are sustainable for me, you know, and if that means like, I need to go for a walk by myself in the forest, like I get to go do that, you know, like, I think I kind of had this mindset of like, how, how selfless parents need to be. And that is certainly a big part of being a parent. I'm Mm -hmm. not saying it's not, but it's not, everything you know and I feel like it's kind of a similar mindset to like pastors and people who do missions work and ministry in the church like they're seen as just being like slaves like where they're just go 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 run yourself into the ground like don't take good care of yourself don't eat well don't get enough sleep don't physical act physical activity and then they're just it's not sustainable it's a burnout job you know and so I think I'm figuring out okay like I need to take care of myself in these ways that appear selfish but it's really just like me taking care of myself so that I can be there for my kids and be in a good mood when I am there like it doesn't help me to be with them Mm -hmm. 24 if I'm just like bitter that I have to do this you know and so that's helped a lot to just like yeah, get those healthy boundaries in place. Do you and Sarah split like mom, dad work 50, 50? Like, I don't know. You know what I, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. We don't keep tabs. On yeah. 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 Say, but, but, uh, it's, I don't know. I'd be curious. To, I, I'm hesitant to answer the question. Cause I don't know how she'd answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> she probably already did. I'm sure you asked her this. I question. don't think I have actually. Uh-huh. 
I mean, so I try to offload her as much as I can to answer your question. Like she is like the professional runner and she's the primary breadwinner in the family and all that. So, yeah. you know, I'd certainly like, like I'm sitting in my kid's soccer practice right now in the car waiting for them to finish and I'll drive them down to Phoenix over the weekend and she's not going to do any of that, you know? So I try to offload her, but I mean, she does do a lot of work and she is like very present with the girls and with the kids. And so I, I, I don't want to be like, oh yeah, I'm running the show. And, <laughs> you know, she's doing a lot. She makes like I'm so grateful that she makes dinner because I'm telling you, you've not tasted worse food that has come from my house when I prepare it for dinner. It's it's a sad day when I have to cook. <laughs> okay, listen, what we have to do is um you know those games where like you ask the couple the question and then they flip over the answer and like you don't know what the other one's gonna say. That's what we need to do for questions like this. And we'll we'll do like an Instagram live and you and Sarah can both flip over your questions. I don't know if I'm excited for this. I feel like I'm <laughs> in trouble. <laughs> oh, man. Um, okay, well, let's wrap up with end of the podcast questions so you can get to your girls, picking them up from soccer. What is one thing professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Ooh, I'd love to climb some more mountains personally. Um, like I said, I love mountaineering. I've, I've wanted to do Denali, but that's like the coldest mountain on the planet. So mm. I don't know if that's my cup of tea, but um, definitely I would love to get to like Nepal and just, just even just looking at the mountains. I'm just like a mountains person. So I'll go with that. Uh, this isn't in the end of the podcast questions normally, but now I'm curious. What is the coolest place you've ever traveled to? Ooh, Antarctica is pretty cool. Uh, I did the seven marathon, seven days, seven continents. That was pretty special being there. I was picturing it just being like flat and ice. And I was like, this is not going to be anything to write home about. But it was actually like like we were on a glacier and there was like mountains all around us and stuff. And we we're living in tents and running on ice fields and stuff. It was That was pretty amazing experience. Dude, and that's one more thing, like of the list of a million things that I could cover in my hour long <laughs> conversation with Ryan Hall. Like, of course, that was on my list the seven marathons and seven continents and seven days. <laughs> like, that's <laughs> massive. Um, but again, you'll have to go listen to his podcast. I think you touched on it a tiny bit on Mimi's podcast. Um, yeah. Did I, I have a question? Was Mike Wardian, was he on that trip with you? He was. Yeah, I love Mike. He's a great dude. He so my memory from him is on that trip is after the seventh marathon, after his seventh marathon, I was still going. So I got a stress fracture on day five. So I was running running in quotes, uh, a five and a half hour marathon. So he came out and like was walk jogging with me Aww. when I was finishing mine because he was doing a seventeen mile cool down so he could hit <laughs> a two hundred mile week. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I think he finished his seventeen mile cool down before I finished that marathon marathon <laughs> oh my gosh that is wild um yeah i interviewed him right after um whatever big big's backyard virtual thing that they all did um gosh it must have been early on in the pandemic it's 2020 is all running together for me but yeah he's he's a super fun interview too but you you've clearly spent a lot of time with him yeah oh, he's a great guy i love that guy um okay what is an accomplishment you're most proud of I think probably running 204 at Boston um, just because one of my biggest failures came just like a month before that, the New York City Half Marathon. So um, I think that was for that reason. And then also probably a bigger reason is uh, because for me, like competition became about redefining what success is, you know, and going away from like comparing myself to other people to going after personal excellence. And, uh, I'll never forget coming across the finish line, running 204 
and just the joy that I felt and the excitement that I felt like, I don't think I've ever been that excited for my own personal race before. Um, that day I was like the most excited I've ever been finishing a race. And yet I was fourth place Mm. in the fourth fastest time ever run at the Boston marathon in over 120 years. And so, you know, I could have been like very bitter in that moment and just been like, what do I have to do to win this race? But that's not it. That thought did not come through my mind because I think I was so honed in on just like being the best version of myself. And I think that day, like I did become the best version of myself on the day. But then also like I could celebrate getting fourth place in the same way that I could celebrate winning. And to me, that just felt like a huge like inner success that really like, okay, I finally like I got it today. And it's obviously something you have to cultivate, but this idea of like, it's about personal excellence. It's not about winning the race. It's not about winning Boston. It's about me getting hundred percent out of myself and out of everyone else on the day. So I think that's probably what I'm most proud of in my career. That's huge. Yeah. And, and for listeners, you know, you got third in 2009. So clearly you were going after, you wanted to right. win that race. You're not, you're not start towing <laughs> the start line of the Boston Marathon, not wanting to win. Yes, absolutely. Uh, what is the best, most recent book you've read? Ooh, man, I'm listening to a good book on tape right now, but I don't know if I'd recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's got some like swear words in it and stuff, so I don't want to get you know parents in trouble if they got little kids listening to it. Um, no, we want to know. We want to know. I can't even remember the title of this book. Uh, so, thing about me is like I don't even read books anymore. Now that I have kids, I listen to mm-hmm. all my books. So I'm so grateful for Audible. Like, uh, yeah, I've been flying through books on audible um but one that actually i just listened to which maybe you've heard of um that we're going through with our run free athletes is uh called deep work and i really really like that book um yeah i highly recommend that that just like really reinforced to me like the value of being very using your time well you know and like not like multitasking like feel like sometimes I'm answering email and then I'm on Instagram then I'm on a text message like all at the same time and this was just like the value of like just really focused intentional work um really stood out to me it's been super helpful for me since listening to that one wow I need that I hear our daughter's in the car I have two quick questions left all right okay who's someone fun motivating or inspiring that you would like to have coffee tea or cocktail with Ooh. That's a good question. You know who it would be, actually? This is going to be funny for your <laughs> listeners, probably, but this guy, Eddie Hall. Okay. Um, he, he uh, I think he still currently officially has the world record for the deadlift. Um, it's like 500 kilograms, so like 1,100 some odd pounds. But the guy is just a beast. But I would love to just pick his brain about what he's learned in lifting over the years. You know, being like the strongest human being to ever walk on the earth with the deadlift is uh, pretty pretty legit. That uh, I would be super curious to like pick his brain and, and learn how he got there. Yeah, that is legit. Okay, what is your one message you want to leave with our audience today? Man, that's a great question. I think just going back to like the root of Jesus, the root of my faith, of it's all about like love. Like it talks about in the Bible, like 
doesn't matter what you do, like what accomplishment you do, what miracles you do. Like if you don't do it with love, it's like they call it like a, you're a sounding gong, you know, like it's, it's all like futile unless it's done out of love and something I try and really go after. It's a tough one to go after, you know, but try to really cultivate inside myself, like just doing everything from a place of love. And, uh, and the more I do that, the better life is. And that's really, I think what I want for all your listeners is to experience the best life that they could possibly experience. And I think if they're doing everything, out of love that's that's the key that's how you get there well ryan this I, i'm publishing my 300th episode on friday and i i can tell you this is one of my top 10 favorites so thank you so much for your time this was really really cool oh it's my pleasure thanks for thanks for the great questions Lindsay. all right everybody thanks for being here today thank you ryan for your wisdom and everything that you shared with us today this was a really fun episode. I can't believe I waited this long to ask you to come on the show. You all can find Ryan on Instagram. He is Ryan Hall three. You can learn more about his coaching runfreetraining.com. I don't know about you all, but he pretty much sold me on wanting to hire him as a coach without even trying to. <laughs> and, uh, you can find me on Instagram. I am Lindsay Hine, six, two, six. You can find me on Twitter at Lindsay Hine and you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine where we have a group as well. Don't forget to check out our sponsors for this episode. Prevenex, grab yourself some protein powder, some joint health plus. Go to Prevenex.com. Use the code another for 15% off your order and the best compression socks in the game. Lily Trotter's. Go to lilytrotters.com and you'll get 25% off your order when you use the code ANOTHER. You can always find more content from me, extra episodes over on Patreon when you support the show for as little as 3 or $5 a month. We drop almost weekly episodes over there. We've stepped up our game over on Patreon. So that is patreon.com slash lindsayhine. All right, friends. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great Friday. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend, and as always, we will see you next Friday.